let's dive into uh, the sermon this morning. We're uh, kind of picking back up into the uh, the Jesus Way series that we started a few weeks ago, and like I've said before, we're just going to spend all year long just kind of bathing in uh, our Lord, bathing in Jesus and His teachings and what He did and what He means to us, what all the ways that Jesus is the way. But as we started off, we've just kind of been highlighting uh, different parts of, of kind of answering the question, who is he? Who is Jesus? And so first off, we talked about that he was God. We've talked that he, about that he was also a man. We, talk, we highlighted the fact that he was the master discipler. And, uh, and this week, we're going to uh, dive into one of his titles that if you know the most famous verse in the Bible, you know the title I'm talking about. And, and that is the fact that uh, he has the title of son of God. Son of God. And what does that mean to be the Son of God? And like, I always, I don't know if you think like I think, but as a, as a younger person, it, that whole title confused me a little bit. Like, what, what does that mean? Like, like there's God, and then there's Jesus. Is, like, he's, is he like God Jr.? Like, how does that work? And, uh, and so I just, a little, little confused about all of that. And so uh, I thought we would just spend some time talking about what, what does it mean that he is the son of God? And I think you're going to be surprised that it has some pretty exciting implications for our lives, the fact that Jesus is the son of God. And, uh, and so let's just read this passage. It's, 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 uh, it's the most famous verse in the Bible. And uh, if you've ever been, you know, watched a football game, uh, you know, back in the 70s and 80s and 90s, you saw a guy in a rainbow wig and a t-shirt that said John 3.16. And, and, uh, and so I miss that guy. Um, but anyway, so let's, uh, let's look at what God's word says in John three, starting with verse 16. <laughs> so let me give you a little background here. John or Jesus is meeting with a guy, uh, secretly at night, uh, by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was one of the religious leaders of the day, and he was a little scared to meet publicly with Jesus, but he, he was interested in what Jesus had to say and he wanted to kind of investigate it for himself. So Jesus meets with Nick at night. All right. So... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. just let that soak in right there. All right, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. This is Jesus talking to, to Nicodemus. For he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only, say it with me, Son of God. Son of God. He's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So it's an interesting passage, this, in that um, I think, you know, and again, like I said, probably the most famous verse in all of the Bible. Um, and th- but it's a little interesting that I think we... We tend to focus on the wrong thing, maybe, in this verse. We kind of miss the headline in that we, we, we see that verse, uh, for God so loved the world, and we, man, we, we hang up on loved. Oh, God loves us, and it's just amazing that he loves us, and look how much he loves us, and we're so loved, and all of this kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that's not true. It's all true, and it's great. That's great news that God loves you and has done everything that he's done for you. But I think what Jesus was maybe trying to emphasize even more than that was a different word, and that is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
And, and then at the end of that passage, because he, uh, um, whosoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Like, why would he emphasize that he's the only Son of God? And this is the reason. The reason is Jesus wasn't the first person to be called Son of God. That, that was not, that's not a title that is exclusive to Jesus. Lots of people before and after Jesus were called sons of God, a son of God or the sons of the gods or, or whatever. I mean, in fact, in, even in Jesus' day, everybody that uh, Jesus was walking around probably had change in their pocket with you know, little coins with a, the face of Caesar on it and written in that language, it said, son of God, son of God. And I think Jesus is trying to emphasize here that I, I know you've, you're placing faith in, and maybe have placed faith in various different sons of gods roaming around out there. You've got a son of God on your, on your quarter right now in your pocket, right? I mean, you've, you've, you, you have been exposed to various different sons of God, but in any of them, in none of them, will you find salvation? Will you find redemption for your soul? You'll only find that in the only Son of God. And so Jesus is, kind of sets himself apart from other would-be sons of God and says, no, 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 salvation is in me only. Only. Now, what I want to do for the rest of our time together is kind of take a look back through Scripture and see how we got to this point in history where Jesus establishes himself as the only son of God. Because <clears throat> it's a pretty fascinating journey. And it kind of tells the whole story of, of God and mankind, right? And it goes all the way back to uh, the beginning in, in, uh, in Genesis, as most things go all the way back to. And uh, we're going to start with this, uh, the story of a guy by the name of Abraham. Abraham was this guy who uh, comes on the scene about Genesis chapter 12. And Abraham was just this, he was an old guy married to an old woman. That, I mean, that, he was just an old guy, but he loved God. And God decides to make a covenant, a promise to Abraham, a covenant with Abraham. And he says, um, through you and your offspring, through you and your family, I'm going to bless the entire world. The entire world, all the nations of, the, of planet Earth are going to be blessed through you and your family. Now, Abraham, as an old guy, married to an old woman, uh, looks at God and says, um, that's a great plan but we don't have any kids. And now, quick, quick biology lesson. Um, generally, old folks don't have babies. I know, it's shocking. <laughs> but generally speaking, old folks don't have babies. Like, they just don't. That's not a normal thing. And, and Abraham and Sarah, his wife, were not just old. They were like, they were old. I mean, they're, they're pushing, you know, at this point in the story, upper 80s into their 90s. And now, now you, may, you may hear some wild story of somebody in some other country or whatever through, you know, crimes against God and humanity and everything else that was able to conceive. I'm just teasing. That's not this. That, but... but but maybe someone up into their 60s or something like that, that that gets pregnant. I've heard those stories before. You haven't heard of a 90-year-old woman conceiving and, and having a baby. That just doesn't 
happen. Like, we're not created. So, so you know, even though this, these are kind of primitive people, they were able to put two and two together too, and they knew that didn't happen as well. And so their response is, um, yeah, we don't have any kids, and we're old. And God's response is, that's okay, I'll take care of that. And so, spoiler alert, God took care of it. <laughs> like, he took care of it. Like, Sarah, as an as a old old lady had a baby. And there's a lot of other bits and pieces that are part of the story there that are really fascinating. You should read it on your own, but I'm just going to skip to the, to the punchline and say she had a baby. And from that child, more children were had and Abraham's family grew and grew and grew until it became a nation, the nation that we know as Israel. Now, the story starts with a covenant between God and a man and a woman to build up a family, and through this family, he would bless the entire world, right? Then we fast forward into the next book of the Bible, into the book of Genesis, or Exodus. And in Exodus chapter 4, Moses is being called by God to, to go and stand before Pharaoh and demand that all the Israelites are set free because they were slaves, the whole nation, the whole fam- large you know, million people family there now in in Egypt, they were slaves under Pharaoh. And God calls them and says, go set my people free, and I'm going to take you to the land that I promised you, and and all this stuff. So this is what God says to Moses in Exodus chapter 4. He says, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn, what is it? Son. My firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. So God promises uh, makes a promise, a covenant with Abraham and Sarah that he grows their family. He's going to bless the nations of the world through their family. The family grows into a, a decent-sized nation now, enslaved in Egypt. And God views Israel as his son. And he's like, you need to let my son go. I've got work for him to do. Any dads recognize, feel like you have said that before to other people? Like, give me back my son. I've got some work I need him to do, Right. And this is God. He's like, I've got a job for him. I've got a vocation that I'm calling my son to, my son Israel, this nation of people, this nation of my sons and daughters. I've got work for them to do. But God views them as his son. He's got work for them to do. All right? Now, fast forward again to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a, a prophet that was around, um, and he was, he was around, sorry, pay no attention to the sirens. Um, and so Isaiah was a prophet that was around uh, hundreds of years after Abraham and Moses and those guys. And, and this is what happened with, with Israel. They were called to be God's sons and daughters with a specific job to do. And Isaiah's getting ready to tell us what that job was, but they didn't do a very good job of it. And this is what Isaiah says to him in, ver- in chapter 43. He says to, to Israel, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. You're my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no, say it with me, Savior. There is no Savior. So this was God's vocation, God's calling on Israel. They were to be God's light to the world that would share with the rest of the world that God had a plan to set all things right and save people. 
to save them from their sin, to save them from the broken world that they lived in. Israel was to be the original image bearers to the world to reflect God to them and say, hey, God's got a plan. I've got good news for you. And God's got this. Instead, what Israel tended to do, if you read the whole story, is that Israel would kind of take all of God's blessings and kind of do this, kind of keep it all to themselves. It's like, yeah, 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 you guys are dogs, but we're God's people. Oh, yeah, yeah, you guys are scum of the earth, but God loves us. And he's going to protect us. Like, like, we got all these blessings. Too bad you can't have any. That was Israel, right? That, 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 that's kind of the way they lived their life. And they were, but in, in addition to that, they weren't, even in their selfishness and their disobedience to God's call, they were also just flat out disobedient and rebellious to God and that they would seek after other gods and they would you know, run from God often. And, and, and it was a nation constantly in sin and turmoil and, and idolatry and all of that. And in that, God's looking down at the people, the family, this family nation that he's established to be his light to the world that would share the good news of the fact that God's got a plan for all of humanity to save them. He's looking down at those chosen people and he's going, they have failed. They haven't done it. I gave them a calling. I gave, they were supposed to be a part of my plan, and they've totally failed in that calling. They've totally failed in that vocation. They can't even do it. Now, this is where we bump back in, you know, fast forward a few more hundred years, and we bump into Jesus again. And Jesus comes on the scene again in John chapter 3, like we just looked at, and now he's saying... God so loved the world that he gave his only, his only son. God had called all these other people's sons, and they were supposed to be his light to the world, and they failed in their calling. But now Jesus comes on the scene and says, I'm the only son. And what's going on is that God, looking down at the mess that Israel had made of her calling, says they can't, they can't fulfill my covenant. They can't fulfill my plan to set all things right. So... I guess I need to go do it myself. So God sends Jesus, which was himself in the flesh. God pours himself into the flesh of a man to be what Israel couldn't be, to be the, the, the true Israelite, the true image bearer, the true light to the world that, would, that could live a perfect life as an example to us, that could die as a perfect sacrifice because we couldn't and because we're so sinful. He could be everything that Israel was called to be and failed to be and couldn't be, all wrapped into one package, all wrapped into one man, Jesus Christ. He comes as the only true, effective son of God. Now, this idea of, of, of being a son back in this day was, was a tricky one in that sons were highly valued. I mean, you can go back in our own history uh, you know, a handful of decades, four, five, six decades back, and, and still look at how sons were valued over daughters, generally speaking. You know, it was sons who would get the inheritance. It's sons who would get the family business, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, sons who would be given the, the blessing and the responsibility, you know, uh, all of that. And, and it was even more so back in the times that we read in the Bible that Women, girls, women, they were viewed just simply as property. 
They were, just, they were just plain and simple property. You were the property of your dad for a while, and then you would be the property of another man for a while, your husband or whatever, but you were property. And if you were the property of neither, you didn't have a lot of options in life. You just didn't have a lot of options. But sons were, the idea of being a son, that, again, that was who you would leave everything to. That was who you would uh, bless and, and give your blessings to, that sort of thing. And their adoption existed in that, that time of the world. We have adoption now. It's really beautiful to watch adoption take place in a family, but... Back in this day, adoption took place, and nobody adopted girls. You only adopted sons because they viewed it more as a, a, a transaction, a business relationship almost. So it would look like this. Let's say you are a, a wealthy landowner, and, and you, uh, you, you raise you know, certain crops or whatever, and you had certain servants that would help you manage your affairs, but you had no sons. And let's say one servant in particular kind of rose in your esteem, and you began to love and trust this guy and would trust him with the managing of your business and you'd trust him with the, with the uh, management of your other servants and that sort of thing. He, he rose in esteem and, and you decide, you know what, I, I want to adopt him into my family because I trust him to carry on my family name. I trust him to carry on my family business. And so I'll adopt him into the family. And that way, from that point forward, whenever he goes out, he speaks for me. He is, my, he is now my true representative in the world. Israel was supposed to be God's true representative of himself into the world, and they failed and they couldn't do it. So God sends himself, his son, in the form of Jesus Christ to be his true representative in the world. Now, this is now right here, this is where the story starts to get interesting. Because we have this story of God blessing the world through one man and woman, through, through a small family that grows into a large family that he calls his sons and his daughters. He wants them to be the light of the world. They can't, and so he kind of goes to the, the, the plan of sending himself in the form of Jesus, one man who would be the only son of God, and Jesus does that. He fulfills everything that God needed to fulfill. He starts the process of setting all things right and defeating sin and defeating death and all of that, and then the next thing that happens is Jesus, he, he, he completes his work on the cross. He, he's the perfect sacrifice for us. He, he, he dies. He's buried. He raises again three days later. He, he makes himself known to several people uh, over the course of several weeks and then ascends back to heaven. And then God sends the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to dwell in all the hearts and lives of everybody who places their faith in him. Now, now watch this. Paul writes about this in my favorite chapter of the whole Bible, Romans chapter 8. Now, Romans chapter 8 is amazing because it's, there's so many great verses in this chapter. It's such a powerful, it's the climax of this amazing book that we call Romans. And it's a bit like trying to pick your favorite verse out of Romans chapter 8 is about like trying to pick the cutest puppy. Like, they're all like, like by themselves, each of them would be the cutest puppy in the world. But when you get them all together, then you can sort of compare them and go, oh, I guess that one's cuter, but they're so cute, right? And so this passage I'm, I'm reading might be the cutest puppy of Romans chapter eight, okay? Maybe, but they're all pretty good. But listen to what he says here and start with verse 13. He says this, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. Now get this. This is where it gets good. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are, say it with me, sons of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If we have 
placed our faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells in us, which he does if you've placed your faith in him, then you are a true son or a true daughter of God. Now look what he says next. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Because you are still living life as a slave to sin, a slave to fear in your life, and you've been given something else that he tells us right here. He says, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is not just a Swedish rock band. Abba was, uh, is, it actually was and still is the, uh, the word in that area of the world for Daddy, it, is, it would be like for, all, for little Mikai when he gets older, most likely his first words will be dada or something similar. Abba is dada in the Middle East. It's still the word that, that is the first words on the lips of most children there. Abba, Abba. Such a simple, you know, baby type of word, right? Abba. And Jesus says, I've given you the spirit of adoption in your hearts to the point that you're, when you cry out to God, you cry out with the innocence of a newborn and you say, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Okay, that, that's some good stuff and it's going to get gooder. Hold on just a second. Now, Normally at this point in my sermons, I like to put up kind of one main point because uh, and, and, we're living hopers and you, you probably can't remember more than one. And so, <laughs> so, so anyway, I, I try to put up one main point, right? Uh, something, something catchy, something memorable that'll help you kind of, the, the message stick. And so today I want to do something different. I want to, my main point is a, is a video that, that we made uh, about eight or nine years ago. On a, on a trip to India when we went uh, and stayed at Little Flock Children's Home. And, um, and uh, Liz Haugen and I made this, this video, actually. And so uh, watch this video.
Are you kidding me? That um, I've watched that thing a hundred times and it gives me every single time. Here's the thing. Uh, in case you couldn't guess, all right, the point for the day is this. You, you have a father. You have a father. You're not going to hear better news than that all day long, I guarantee you. You have a father. You're not an outcast. You're not a letdown. You're not a disappointment. You're not an embarrassment to God. He is your father, and he loves you, and he fights for you, and he protects you, and he will go to the ends of the earth to save you. You have a father. And so many times we spend our lives crippled by doubt and fear and self-loathing and everything else that the enemy can pile into our head. And I want you to know that God's message for you this morning is, is that he loves you and he's for you. And he, he goes to the ends of the earth to bring you into his family. You have a father. 
at what he says there. It's so amazing. He did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ our brother. We God starts this plan with a simple family, and he says, I'm going to bless the world through your family. And that family grows and grows and grows, and they fail in their calling, and they can't do it, and they can't do it, and they run from God, and they rebel against God. God sends himself. He doesn't give up. He could have just wiped them out. He could have just been like, forget you guys. I don't need to save you after all. Instead, he's like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm coming for you. And he sends Jesus the true son of God, the one, the only one who could live up to the calling that was placed on Israel to be God's light to the world, to point the nations back to him, to save them from death and their sins. And he does that. And then because the spirit of that same Jesus lives in all of us, we now can be sons and daughters of God. We have that calling, that same calling on our life to now continue to go out into the world and be that light light that people now here's the here's the here's the beautiful news is this where 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 Israel failed those who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ will succeed we cannot help but succeed because the spirit of Jesus rests and reigns and rules and lives inside of us you're not going to hear better news than that all day folks not all day long everything that God calls you to do is possible. How many times have you felt God impress upon you to do something, to do something that felt uncomfortable, to do something that felt like maybe even a little bit impossible or unlikely, and you kind of just, you tried to shut down that little voice in your head, like, no, I can't do that. Now's not the right time. I don't have the money. I don't have the skill set. I don't have the gifts. I don't, I'm not so-and-so. They could do it, but I can't do it. All the time God's telling you to do that and you're shutting him down and, or you're thinking something like, like if, if I was one of the disciples, if Jesus was walking with me and teaching me, surely I could do all those things that, 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 he's, that he's maybe calling me to do. And instead we shut him down and all the while he's living right inside of us. God, go back to Moses, God uh, you know, as, as he sets them free from Egypt and all that kind of stuff, they head out into the wilderness and they, they build a, a dwelling place, a place of worship for God, a little, little tent, tabernacle, they called it. And, and God tabernacled, his presence tabernacled in this tent. I mean, they built a tent for God. How ridiculous is that, right? A tent. And they build this tent for God. That's where God's presence is. That's where they, you know, keep the, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. You've seen Indiana Jones. And so they, you, you've, the whole thing, right? And so they do that, and then eventually as the nation grows and becomes uh, um, uh, steadier and more of a, an official nation, they, they, God allows them to build a temple, and God he, his, tabernacles his presence in that temple, in the Holy, Holy of Holies in that temple. And now God, he cannot be held by a tent. He cannot be held by a, a building God's presence does not dwell in this building unless you're here. You bring the presence of God with you. There's nothing magical about this space. I walk through this room 
all week long. Phil's office is back there in the corner. He walks through it more than I do. There's nothing special about this. There's nothing special about this stool. There's nothing magical about this table. There's nothing, nothing you know, super extraordinary about the chairs that you're sitting in or the walls that are surrounding it. This is just a room, and it can burn for all we care because God's presence lives in us. We bring his presence wherever we go, wherever we go. So God calls you to some place that's stretching you and feels uncomfortable, and you're wishing you could, you know, I don't know, I wish I could just see God. I'd give me the faith to maybe move a little bit more. You take him with you wherever you go. Why? Because you have a father, and he has made his home in you. In you. That's the best news you're going to hear all day long. So this is what I want to challenge you to do. Let's begin to live in the knowledge and in the beautiful grace that is the fact that we are sons and daughters of God. The same man who John in his gospel called the only son of God, the only son of God lives in us and extends to us the spirit of adoption into that same family. And we get to be those light bearers, those image bearers into this dark, dark, can we agree, dark world around us. And we get to be a part of God's process of bringing his kingdom into this world. And so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just do it. Just go. Just go and be everything that God has called you to be and stop stop living in fear. Amen? Amen. Pray this prayer with me that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus, we love you so much, and we thank you that you make your home in us. And thank you so much that you, uh, you did not give up on us, but you, as the only Son of God, have uh, made all of us as well sons and daughters of God. And you send us back out into this world to be God's light and to share the good news that God has a plan and he is setting it all right, and he's doing it through Jesus. So God, help us to live boldly in that calling. And God, we thank you so much that you use us in the work, that you use us to bring about what you're trying to bring about. And so we, we pray with Jesus here as he teaches us to pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is done right now in heaven, God, that we anxiously await the day to where the community that we live in, the world that we live in begins to resemble more your kingdom. We actually await the day to where you, your kingdom comes in its fullness here on this earth. And so use us however you need to use us to bring that about. And uh, we'll give you all the glory, all the praise. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs>